Okay, now we'll, we'll jump into the scriptures. Uh, again, like I said, this week the, the topic, so to speak, is radical in relationships. And if you're taking notes, you can write down the subtitle, Love Does. Love Does. Has anybody ever read that book, Love Does, by Bob Goff? Anybody? If you're looking for a good book to read, that's an excellent one. Uh, I don't get any royalties, so that's a free pitch for Bob Goff. Love Does. Excellent book. But if you turn to John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, John chapter 15, we'll read verses 1 through 17. Love Does. We're going to talk about what it means to be radical in relationships. I think that uh, it ought to be said about God's people that we are the best at relationships. Like as Jesus followers, and that's, I say that very humbly because especially when I was given this topic and told I was speaking tonight, if I'm being totally honest, I think that I'm a little bit poor at relationships at times. Um, but nonetheless, just to start out this standard and this kind of uh, declaration that we would make as God's people that regardless of the challenges that we've had in the past or the things that we're working through relationally and as people, our understanding is that as the people who are representing God in the earth and partnering with God to restore and redeem creation and to usher in the kingdom of God, that we should be uh, not just the best in the sense that it's this competition with people who are not following God, but we would be the people who are the deepest in relationship and who love the best and who uh, are the most generous and who give give and serve and just love people and that it would be known about us. It says, uh, Jesus says that you will be known by your love. Um, and as we're talking about being radical in relationship tonight, for this thing to well up inside of us, that's my prayer. And I, it's been what I've been challenged with this week, um, that I would slow down my life and I would reflect on who I am as a person and as a friend and as a husband and one day as a father. And I would just have this expectation and this standard by God's grace that I would do relationships as well as I possibly can the way that God has designed and created us to be. Um, This is what it says in John chapter 15. Jesus says, "I I am a true sprouting vine. This is the Passion Translation. And the farmer who tends the vine is my father. He cares for the branches connected to me by lifting and propping up the fruitless branches and pruning every fruitful branch to yield a greater harvest. The words I have spoken over you are already cleansed you, so you must remain in life union with me. One translation or many translations say, you must abide in me. For I remain in life union with you. For as a branch severed from the, from the vine will not bear fruit, so your life will be fruitless unless you live your life intimately joined to mine. I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. As you live in union with me as your source, fruitness, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. If a person is separated from me, he is discarded. Such branches are gathered up and thrown into the fire to be burned. But if you live in life union with me, and if my words live powerfully within you, then you can ask whatever you desire and it will be done. 
When your life bears abundant fruit, you demonstrate that you are my mature disciples who glorify my Father. I love you. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let me nourish your hearts. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually live nourished and empowered by his love. My purpose for telling you these things is so that the joy that I experience will fill your hearts with overflowing gladness. What Jesus is trying to reveal to us in this text is the type of radical love that God has for us. The thing is, is God created all of creation. And he created man and he created woman. And he said, this is the pinnacle of my creation. This is man and woman. They will bear my image. That's a summary. It doesn't necessarily say that word for word in the, the Genesis, but it's the interpretation. That God created man and woman, the pinnacle of his creation. He said that it was very, very, very good. God is this great artist. He's this incredible creator. And he creates something. And then that thing is compromised by sin. God is being a relational God. is heartbroken by that. And because of our sin, we are separated from relationship with God. We're separated from his presence. But as we see through the Old Testament and into the New Testament, and as it is completed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are brought back into relationship with God. And what Jesus is explaining in John chapter 15 is the dynamics of what it means to be in relationship with God and what we see with this uh, metaphor and analogy of a vine and a vine dresser and the branches is that God is radical in relationship. That as a God, a relational God, who's not this far off cosmic deity, but this near relational, uh, almost person-like God, and we see the person of Jesus as God, that he is near to us and he has this radical uh, dynamic and understanding of what it means to be in relationship with his creation. And in order for us primarily to know what it means to be radical in relationship, we first have to know what type of relationship God has for us and with us. And it's from that place that we are the types of people who are radical in relationship. And we're the types of people who show the world what it actually means to live healthy and have healthy, loving relationships. This is what Jesus says. He says that God prunes and he shapes the vine. So you have to understand about an artist. I have a couple illustrations for you tonight. The first thing, if you know anything about me, you know that I love clothes. The unique thing about this jacket, I would argue that this is one of the best made jackets in the world. The designer of this jacket's name is John Elliott. And when John Elliott made this jacket, he had a decision. See, if you know anything about making clothes, you can make really, really incredible clothes, and it will cost you a lot of money to do it. Or you can make really, really cheap clothes and still sell them for a lot of money and increase your margins as much as you can. That's what um, we call the American way. <laughs> margin, margin, margin at any cost. But that's not John Elliott. Because this is the thing about John Elliott. He knows that when his name is on something, that there's an expectation about the standard of beauty and quality. 
So John Elliott had some decisions to make, and the decisions he made when he made this jacket was he chose Italian iridescent nylon. It's probably $15 a yard. Now, he could have chosen kind of a generic Asian nylon that maybe looked good for a couple days, but when you took care of it and as you wore it, it began to rip and tear. And he said, no, we can't. Although that might increase my profit margin, my name is on this. And there's a certain expectation for the beauty and the quality of what I make. So we're going to choose the best nylon in the world, no matter what it costs us. And a decision about the zippers. So you can choose a, a generic zipper, and a generic zipper could cost you, depending on how many things you're making, anywhere from 50 cents to $25. And he chose to use the zippers probably $18. $18 just for the zipper. Because he has a certain standard for quality and beauty. And because his name is on the garment, he said, I have to make it as beautiful and as high a quality as possible because my reputation and who I am as a person is on the line. Now, when you get to the lining, you know, most of us don't really care that much about lining, and he could have cut corners there. But he chose to use really technologically savvy thermalite lining because he wants you, when you wear this jacket, to know that every detail was considered. And that even the lining mattered to him because it matters to you because he wants your body as you're wearing this jacket to be warm and comfortable. Now, I, that jacket probably cost close to $100 to make. Most of us probably won't spend $100 on a jacket. Like, that's crazy. Go to H&M. You can get one for 20 but John Elliott's name is on it. And when he creates something, he makes it as beautiful and as quality as possible. And he had decisions. He could have compromised on the quality of anything to cut corners and to get his margins up so that he could make as much money as possible. But if his name is on it, he's going to do everything he can to make sure it's the right quality and the right standard of beauty. Because he's an artist and what he creates is beautiful. These flowers, what the florist does is carefully sifts through the flowers. I love roses as well. That's why I chose these two things. Maybe you like cars and that's your prerogative or guns because you live in North Idaho, but I don't. So I like flowers and jackets. This florist's reputation is on the line when he puts these flowers out for you to buy them. So he or she, I don't know who they are, they carefully sift through these flowers and they make sure that if they're going to sell them to you because they have this standard for beauty and quality that each flower is going to be carefully taken care of and pruned and sorted through. And if there's a bad flower, then they're gonna do, well, you can't really recover a flower if it's bad, you just gotta get rid of it. But they take the time 
to sift through it and to prune it. And even as they're harvesting these things and growing these things, the process is so dynamic and intricate because they have to cut off things that are dying so that more healthy things can grow. And it's painful and flowers are inanimate objects. They don't have emotions, so they don't really know any better. But we as people, because this is not really about roses or jackets, this is about God and his creation. And what Jesus is saying is that God is a creator and he is an artist and humanity is the pinnacle of his creation. And what he is doing because of his radical relationship towards us is he is radically sh shaping us and pruning us and beautifying us because his name is on us and his stamp is on us and he is a standard for life and quality in the way in which we would live and understand God and he is doing whatever he has to in order to make us whole. And it's a relationship like any, unlike any other. Because when he does see something beautiful inside of us that he has created and he has destined us for, he does anything that he can to put his anointing and his grace on it so that it flourishes and blooms so that he is glorified. But then when he sees something that is sinful and ugly and broken and distorted, he cuts it off. Because although it's painful for us, and if we're being honest, most of the time we're trying to avoid that as much as possible, he knows better than we do. And his goal is not to hurt us for the sake of hurting us or prune us for the sake of exercising authority and power and revealing to us that he is God and we are these dismal human beings and he is wrathful. But what he is trying to do because of his radical love for us is say, you were not ever created or designed for that. And if you let me cut it off, something else beautiful will come out of it. In order for us to be radical in relationship as Jesus followers, we have to understand at a foundational level that we are not the creator and we get to decide what it means to be in relationship with people or what those relationships look like or even just play God in this life. But that we are God's creation and he is the creator. And primarily he wants to just have relationship with us in this insanely radical, beautiful way where it's really, really awesome when things are uh, beautiful and good inside of us. And when things are less than what he has created us for, he gets and takes every opportunity to prune it and cut it and shape it and redesign it so that we can be all that he has created us to be. The thing about human beings is even sometimes as artists or whatever it is that you do, our relationship with our work can get lackluster and we might create something, but because we are not God and we don't totally have this understanding of what it means to be radical with what we've created and radical in relationship, we'll just, if we create it and it's lackluster and we don't have the energy or the virtue to continue to work on it and to continue to beautify it and to continue to restore it and make it whole, we'll just give up and leave. Mark it down. Cut it on sale. Give it to goodwill. Stop texting back. Avoid people because we're ashamed or embarrassed. And I understand why we do that. Because we're human beings. And we to ourselves are broken and in a process and need to be healed. But God has called us 
to much more than that. And primarily what God has called us to is not to live this life with the standard expectation that we can just continue on as broken, distorted, selfish, empty people. But what we have to understand about God is that he desires to be in a radical relationship with us and in radical intimacy with us. And what we have to know is that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. That we reveal his glory in a way that even the mountains and the waters and the sun can't. But in order to be alive, in order to reflect his glory in that way, we have to be connected to the source. Because like a gardener or a florist, the things that die are the things that get cut off and get disconnected. And in order for us to be radical in relationship as we're instructing our community to be and encouraging our community to be and making this declaration that we're going to be radical in relationship, sometimes, again, the church can be so... Um, as we're teaching and we're preaching and we're doing things, it's, you know, it's in, within the context of sanctuary and we're reading the scriptures, but in our hearts and our minds, it's about our own humanity and our moralism. And we might preach a sermon being radical in relationship and make it about us in the way that we're in relationship with people. And that's a part of it because we'll see what Jesus continues to write about being radical in relationship with people. But what Jesus is trying to communicate is before, even before you have this desire to be radical in relationship with people, you have to be radical in your relationship with God. Not in that you have to do extra things in order to win his attention or enter into his presence. Quite the opposite. The thing about an artist is his creation or her creation or their art is the center of their attention at all times. They can't stop thinking about it. It keeps them up at night when it's not perfect. And when it is perfect, they're just in total awe. Right, Steve? You know. It's like you create something, you paint something, and when it's beautiful, you're just like so full of life. And when it's not beautiful, it probably keeps you up at night. When I say we're to be radical in relationship with God, what I'm not trying to shape your paradigm or your perspective to be is that you have to do more stuff in order to win God's attention. We already have all of God's attention and all of his affection and all of his love. The question is, will we radically submit ourselves to him so that he can beautify the things that are beautiful and prune the things that are not? Knowing that when he cuts things off of us, the purpose of doing that is to heal us and restore us and to allow something new to grow and something new to blossom and something inside of us to come alive that was once dead. I said this when I spoke two weeks ago on being radical and raising the next generation. The whole sermon essentially was about intimacy with God. Now I incorporated the subject being radical and raising the next generation because that's what we were, the topic of which we were speaking on. But I could give you a thousand points 
on being a good leader and being radical and raising the next generation. And if that doesn't flow from a place of intimacy with God, then it's all for nothing and it's all vanity. And it lacks power. And it lacks a real ability to actually raise the type of people that God has called and restored and redeemed. And in the same way, as we're talking about being radical in relationships, I could, you could go somewhere else on either the internet or a conference and listen to a more dynamic uh, speaker than I am who could give you a ton of great knowledge on what it means to be radical in relationships. But if it's not centered in the person of Jesus, then it lacks depth and power. And I have points for you on what we can do to be more radical in our relationships with people on a horizontal level. But even before we get there, what we have to do as a people is ask ourselves, have we committed ourselves radically to the presence and intimacy with God and just allowed him to lavish us with his love? And even when it hurts a little bit, it hurt, love hurts so good. What's the song? Hurts so good? I don't even know. I'm trying to be J.O. What am I doing? What's it? What is it? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> that even when we enter into this radical relationship with the creator of the universe, this incredible artist and God, and when he fills us in such a way where we do truly feel satisfied and humbled by his goodness and his grace, because of the beautiful things that are happening in our life, we give him praise and we give him glory, but we are also equally hungry to enter into his presence in moments where we recognize that we are broken and we need him to restore us. Because although it hurts, it hurts in a good way because we know that he is a good God and he's crazy about us. And he is radical in relationships, so much so that he would take things that are ugly and dark and broken and sinful. And he would cut them off of us. He would release us from them. So that we could be healed and set free and be who he created us to be. The best self-help advice I can give you is let God love you that way. You can go, there's I think a 20,000 million books written on self-help. And the best self-help advice is this. God is a radical God. And he's radically in love with us. And he, like un, unlike any other human being or God, will love you in such a way where he will take what's beautiful, and he will anoint it and bless it in such a way where it's so beautiful and it's so good that someone would look at it and say, only God could do that. And when it's broken, he doesn't leave you or abandon you or condemn you. But he says, let me cut that off and take care of it. That dead thing because I have life for you, and I have healing for you. And despite your brokenness, and despite what you've done or what others have done to you, you were created for more. And no perversion, nothing that's distorted, nothing that's torn or broken can limit 
this artist because he is the best and he can restore and redeem anything. Water break. John 15, 1 through 11 is Jesus teaching us about this radical relationship with God. John 15, 12 through 17 is Jesus commissioning us to radical relationships with the, pro- the world and the people around us. This is what he says in verse 12. So this is my command. It's interesting Jesus teaches, he gives us a lot of teaching on how we are to live as human beings. But we see, well, two commands. Really like commandments. Like this is what you're supposed to do with your life. Just a side note, sometimes as Jesus followers, especially as Americans, because it's so important to our society, we get so lost in platforms, in positions, in titles, and purpose and meaning as society defines it and what God is saying and what Jesus is about to say is your purpose and your meaning in life is to love recklessly and be incredible at relationships and I have good news for you you can do that in any job with any amount of zeros in your bank account whether there's a lot of them or just one hopefully there's not a negative sign But you still could do what God has commanded you to do. Side note. So this is my command. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is the love that sacrifices all. And this great love is demonstrated when a person sacrifices his life for his friends. You show that you are my intimate friends when you obey all that I command you. I have never called you servants because a master doesn't confide in his servant. And servants don't always understand what the master is doing. But I call you my most intimate friends. Whether you believe in the gospel or not or other people around you believe in it or not, What we believe as Jesus followers is that we are most intimate friends with the creator of the universe. That's the best news in the world. You didn't choose me, (laughs) but I've chosen and commissioned you to go into the world to bear fruit. And your fruit will last. But whatever you ask of my father for my sake, he will give it to you. So this is my parting command. Love one another deeply. I'll give you four points on what deep love does. Because again, as God's people, you know, I think it's interesting, the world talks about love a lot. It's like, it's very clear to people all throughout the world in every context and culture and language that Love is the answer. But not all love is the love that God has for us. There are really, really shallow forms of love in this world. And what Jesus has commissioned us to is a deep love. 
This is what deep love does. Number one. Or let me read the scripture to you first. This is 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. You're probably pretty familiar with this. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Deep love does this first. Deep love bears all things. This idea of bearing something is that when the people you love do something wrong or have a really weak human moment, you don't put it on display for the whole world to see so they feel the weight and the shame of what they've done. We see this in our Savior. That he's on the cross for yours and I's sin to bear the weight and the consequence of it. And he says to God, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We absolutely know what we're doing when we're sinning most of the time. And Jesus bore those sins because of his deep love for us. A lot of what, I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I say I love people and the same people I love are people that I have gossiped about. Sometimes the people I love the most, if I'm being totally honest, I, I almost sense myself at times waiting for them to do something wrong so that I can say, I told you so. And I say that I love them, but I have such a shallow love for them because deep love bears all things. It has this compassion for people where it says, regardless of what you do or what you've done or what you say about me, or you could wrong me in any way. It will not compromise my ability to bear what you've done. Now, that doesn't mean that we're in an unhealthy way taking on these burdens that don't belong to us. And if you're like, Connor, you got to help me out there because I don't know how to discern between the two. I don't know either. I need God to help me because I do that. But it's this thing inside of us to bear all things and to love so deeply where we want to bear all things. It's this thing inside of us that says, when we see the people that we love screw up or mess up, we're not waiting to shine light on that. But we come alongside them with compassion and with grace and with mercy and we do whatever we can to protect them in a healthy way and point them back to Jesus so that God can do what God does best, which is prune and heal and restore. Deep love believes all things. Let me, sorry, I wrote this down. This is important. This is my question to you just rhetorically. Do the people you love trust you to protect them? Or the people that you love, they know that you love them when things are good and what they're doing 
when they're doing what you expect them to do and what you know you think is good for them but the moment that they fall short in that they're hiding from you and they're afraid of you because your love is shallow and it doesn't bear all things but it looks for weakness and it looks to shine light on brokenness deep love believes all things this is the thing about God God knows all of our sin I mean he's God sometimes I pray and I'm like God Lord I I just want to tell you that I did this (laughs) and I feel like God's like yeah I know I'm God I watched you you know like I knew you wanted to do it before you actually did it and I was trying to help you not do it but you chose to do it anyway so God he sees our sins but he also sees the person that he is shaping us and making us fully restored and redeemed in the same moment like he sees this person and he I think sometimes he says to me Connor if you would see the person that I believe in the person that I know if they would abide in me and they would remain in me and they would let me you know really bless the incredible things that I'm doing in you but if that person would also let me prune and cut off in this radical relationship if you could see that person the person I believe in and the person that I see that you're not yet but I'm making you into you would have courage and strength to live the life that I've called you to And what God is saying is, one, that he sees you that way. And there is a person, there is you way far ahead of you that God believes in in such a way where you're not condemned to the things behind you, but you are fully restored by this creator. In the same way, he calls us to love people that way. To not see people where they are or where they've been, but to see them where they're going and to believe in them in such a way where you're like, if they could just get a hold of the love that God has for them and let God totally heal them and restore them and make them feel beautiful like they are and cut off the things that they weren't created for, they could be this person. And you're an advocate, not for the person that they are, but the person they are becoming because you believe all things that even when you know something that's short of what God has for somebody, that you still believe in what God has for them regardless. Do the people you love know that you believe in them? Let me say this about belief. Sometimes people that we love wanna live a certain way or do certain things that we either are unsure they're created for or we flat out know they're not created for. Let me tell you something about people. They're gonna do whatever they wanna do. Now you have an option because this is where, like, it's really good when your son is this like superstar athlete and you know he's gonna get D1 scholarships and you're like, yeah, I believe in that. You know what? I'll give you all the support you can because they're going to pay for college and then you're going to the NBA and I'm going to win and you're going to win. It's going to be awesome. It's easy to believe in people when things are good. But do we believe in people when we see the writing on the wall? And what you have to do sometimes is not, again, believe in what's broken in people 
but just believe in people. Like who they are apart from their decisions and their choices and the way that they think. To come to this place of compassion that says, regardless of the decisions you make and regardless of what I like about you or think about you, you're just as much created in the image of God as I am. And it's God's job to prune you and shape you and convict you and it's my job to love you. And what will happen, because this is what's gonna happen, whether you choose to do that or not, people that you love are going to do whatever they want to do at some point in time. And they're gonna go off and they're gonna make the wrong decision. And if they don't know that you believe in them, they're not gonna be able to return to you once God has done the work that he is doing. Because this is what happens. We go off sometimes and we make really dumb decisions or choose to do things that we were not created to do. And then we recognize it because God is pruning us and shaping us. But then we think, if I come back from that, who believed in me? And they'll return to the people who believed in them because the people who actually believed in them will not say, I told you so, and put them back in their place. But they'll say, I'm so glad that we're here together in this moment. Because this is the person that God saw. And I know it cost you something to get here. But I believe in you and we'll go from here. Deep love hopes all things. Really shortly and briefly because we're technically out of time. Similarly to the type of love that believes all things, deep love hopes all things, and it's the type of love that says, especially when someone makes a mistake or fails, you come alongside them and say, there's still more. I know that didn't work out, and you made that mistake, and maybe it even cost you a lot. I'm not, we have to be really honest about what it looks like to forgive someone and to be reconciled to someone. But at the same time, even if your relationship with someone is not the same as it once was, deep, real love still hopes. This is regardless of what's been done or what you've chosen or what I've chosen. Sometimes you have to, all these things are deep love for other people, but you need this type of love for yourself as well. But it says regardless of what's happened in the past, that there really truly is still a future ahead of you. And although we say this a lot and it's kind of become cliche in the the Christian church, the best really is yet to come. And deep love, it comes alongside someone or even just speaks to itself. There's hope for the future. That maybe someone has given up on you or someone's left you or you've just run off and isolated yourself and now you're full of shame and you wanna enter back into community but you don't feel like you can enter back into community because of the shame that you're experiencing. It says there's still more for me. Deep love endures all things. I think about uh, marriage and the vows that we make when we get married to people. And we vow to love each other for better or for worse. And we love, or we vow to love each other through sickness and in health. Sometimes, I'm gonna say all this really, really humbly because if you've been married longer than I have, you know much better than I do. 
But we say that on our wedding day because it's our wedding day and it feels good. And then sickness comes. And I understand that that's hard. But we find out how deep our love is when sickness comes. Because deep love endures sickness. Because the love of God was that when we were sick, spiritually, that he sent his son to bear the consequences of that sickness and to heal us from it, no matter what the cost. He endured the cross. Deep love when 10 years of marriage has gone by and the person you once loved is now the person you hate vehemently because you feel like you don't even know this person anymore says, I hate you and I feel like I don't know you anymore. But I still know, even if I don't feel it emotionally in my heart, that I have this deep love for you and I'll do whatever it takes to kindle it again. Because no matter how far we run from God and no matter how distorted or perverse we become as human beings, no matter how different we may feel like we look like from whence we were once following Jesus 10 years ago and when things were really, really good, but now we've done all these crazy things and we feel like we're this totally other person. God doesn't look at you and say, who are you? And where have you gone? And he says, I'm glad that you're back. I know exactly who you are. It's not who you think you are. It's definitely not who the person you've been for the last 10 years. And I'm here for you. And we'll move forward in this because I have this deep love for you and it believes all things and it bears all things and it hopes all things and it endures all things. you stand with me, we're going to close. These four, thing, these four things, to bear, to believe, to hope, and to endure with the people that we're in relationship with is what it means to be radical in relationship and to love radically. And I that at times my love is really shallow this is one of those messages where you like you stir up passion and confidence because to do otherwise would not be good vulnerability is most of the time good depending on how vulnerable you are but I'm confident in this message but it's as much for me as it is for anybody and I had this realization towards the end of it, it felt really good about the interpretation in the beginning about God's love for us and how radically he loves us and what it means to be in relationship with him. And then I, you know, I felt like God revealed 1 Corinthians 13 to me and I just felt really, really good. The notes all came in a short amount of time and I was feeling good. And then I was like, I don't feel like it's done yet. And then I felt like I just had this question and I think it was from God and I felt like God asked me, Connor, do you know why love is shallow? Because it's connected to a shallow source. And then I remembered what Jesus was teaching in John chapter 15. 
that when the branches are connected to the vine, and when we abide in him and we remain in him, that we experience the fullness of the love that the vine dresser has for the vine, that God the Father has for Jesus, that he connects us to the source. So again, we come back to this place where I encourage you and I commission you and I exhort you to love deeply and to love well. But I'm just here to tell you that it's contingent on your connection to the source. And even beyond that, regardless of your moralism and how good you live and how well you love, it's all for naught if it doesn't flow from this radical relationship with God. Prior to what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is talking about all these uh, cults and these other groups in Corinth that were doing a lot of the things that the church was doing. And he was saying to the church, if you have symbols and you clang them together, but you don't have love, it's just this noisy clanging symbol. It's all for naught. What he's saying to the church in 2018 is even if you have an incredible band and you have lights and you have a beautiful sanctuary, if you worship and it's not from love, it's worth nothing. If you give your life to the ministry and you serve and it burns you out and it kills you inside, it's worth nothing. And we have to be honest. And not just honest, like what an invitation from God that he's not measuring us and giving us worth and approval based on the love that we have for people, but he's just saying, let me love you. Let me heal you. Let me restore you. Let me redeem you. Let me make you feel beautiful again. And just remain in that and abide in that and life will flow. That's the best news in the world. So this I want to pray for. I'll have the prayer team come forward if you want to come receive prayer from people. But if you need to, in this moment, connect back to the source, if there is depression and anxiety that you're wrestling with, that's so real. If we were, if I were to ask you to raise your hands, for those of you who have experienced depression or anxiety or worry, most of us at some capacity would probably raise your hand. Even before I got up here tonight, I was in this really weird place where all of a sudden this like anxiety and this worry and all this insecurity came over me and I had really weird thoughts. It's so real. And the cure for that is to get back to the source. The God who loves you despite your insecurities and your brokenness.